0: Guess where we're going? <laughs> Psalm 119. We're in the pay section of Psalm 119, verse 129. This is the word of our Lord. Psalm 119, verse 100. In twenty-nine, your testimonies are wonderful; therefore, my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light; it gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word and let let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes, because men do not keep your law. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we consider this portion of your word. We pray that uh, your spirit be working in us to grow in love with you as we meditate upon your word for asking Jesus name we say amen there's a theologian by the name of Herman Bovink he's a Dutch theologian uh, late 1800s early 1900s a well-known renowned theologian we could say one of those that are very difficult to read but uh, worth you know, taking the time to to work through his his works and uh he wrote a four-volume systematic theology um, for, for pastors, for training men, for seminary. And he thought that that should be also a version for the layman. And he wrote a one-volume systematic theology book for the layperson on the pew called The Wonderful Works of God based on Acts 2.11. So the title is based on Acts 2.11 in which he goes systematically through the different doctrines of the Bible and so on. Um, still not the easiest thing to read. But if you um, gra- grab it, it's, worth one of the, it's one of those books worth your taking the time to re- read through. Why am, I mention, why am I mentioning him? Well, The Great Works of God is the title of his, his book. And he could have, he could have very well written the book based on Psalm 119, verse 121, and change the title slightly to the great words of God. Because God's works and words always go together. As a matter of fact, all God's work, which in theology are considered his work of creation and his work of providence, are accomplished by his words. Remember how he created the world? He spoke. And how does he sustain the world? Which is also that's the the, the idea of providence. And Hebrews 1:3 tells us, or one and two, tells us that it's by the word of his power that Christ keeps everything together. So all his works are based on his words, and the psalmist tells us that his words are wonderful. And if you stop and think about that, what he says in verse one hundred twenty nine. He says, your testimonies are wonderful. The Word of God is truly full of wonder. We can become unimpressed with what the Bible says. We can even think that's boring. We can lose the wonder of the Scriptures. And sometimes familiarity breeds boredom. We became so familiar with the, the Bible some, at that time, we might actually be bored by it. But I want you to notice the amazement of the psalmist with the word of God and how it leads him to obey it from the deepest part of his soul. Again, in verse 129, he says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. He is so at awe of the word of God that he can't help but obey those words from the depths of his soul. Think with me for a moment of the wonderful works that we read in God's Word. Can you think? Can you name some of them? What are the things that we read about? They're so wonderful in the Bible. Think about creation. Now we read Genesis one and two and say, "Yeah, God created the world." Okay, whatever. What's for dessert? And uh, and go on. And yet we have the account of this God who is transcendent, who exists outside of creation, who is perfect. Who is in perfect fellowship with himself, who exists in all his attributes, who doesn't need anything, decides to create. And he does that by just speaking. No exhaustion. No he, he doesn't have to to uh, recharge his batteries, he just speaks, and things come into existence. But every culture in the world has a creation myth. Some of them are X-rated and other things like that, but none is as simple and full of all at the same time as what we read in the Bible. Uh, for this afternoon, maybe you can read uh, the Gilgamesh epic. That's the Babylonian uh, account of creation. And you're going to say... The, the, don't watch the TV version, if there is one, I don't know. Just read it, because I don't know how they'll portray that in, in, in image. But it's nothing like what we read in the Bible. So we read the, the wonderful works of God and His Word in creation. It doesn't stop there. The flood, just a couple of chapters later, where God, in His wisdom, decides to recreate the world. And yet, He saves eight souls by his grace not because there's something special about those eight souls by his grace he saves those eight souls in the flood Noah, his wife you know know her name right? Mrs. Noah and then the three kids and their wives in the world turns upside down by the power of God I will speak and I'll bring devastation to this world and again most cultures have a flood account and wonder why? That's the case. And uh, we live in society that tries to deny the veracity, the truthfulness of the flood. And yet, every time that somebody digs a hole somewhere, the truth of the flood becomes evident, even though there's a refusal to admit uh, that. We read about the Exodus. And so we go, yeah, the, the Israelites were in Egypt... Then God delivered them, and then Leviticus comes and we're bored. And if we stop and read what's there, the God, out of faithfulness to his promise to his people, provided a way out, a way that was not based on who they were, but who he was. He, read, he heard their cry, and he brought them out of Egypt by parting a sea. Now, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried hold water back with your hands? Yeah, God did that. People walked through dry land, and we were preserved for forty years. One thing we 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 sometimes we miss these little details because we become so familiar. Do you realize that Exodus says that for forty years, or or uh, they wore the same pair of shoes that never got worn, they wore the same clothes, and they never got worn. And some of you are saying. The same clothes for 40 years, I would prefer going to hell than doing that. But that's just the preservation of God, the wonderful works of God. And as you think about it, as you just work your way through the scriptures, you think of Solomon's temple. We read about it and we get bored because, oh, how many times do we have to hear about the decorations on top of the pillars? Yes, we know there was 255 of them, and every one of them is described, and the dimensions. And, and then we, we, we miss the fact that even architecturally, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's how great that was, together with the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, together with the Statue of Rhodes, and so on. One of the seven wonders of the world. And that, that was a place that God resided with his people. Have you ever read about the dedication of the temple? 1 Kings 8 and 9. And just try to picture in your head and smell with your nostrils. Hear the, the, the noises of thousands of animals being sacrificed. And the bloody mess that that was. And blood is being poured all over and people are feasting on those animals for seven days. The magnitude of what's going on there. You know, we, we think that things are out of control. We just had an election this week that, uh, I don't know why we were surprised, but petered out and nothing really happened and everything is the same and there is room for desperation. And we think that, God, we feel, we think that there is room for desperation. God is not in control and so on. We forget The wonderful works and words of God, uh, the God who, by just speaking, caused the greatest, most powerful leader in the world to live like a cow for seven years in Nebuchadnezzar. That's the same God we serve today. He has the same power to do that to any leader, anywhere, anytime. We get so bored of the scriptures, yet we don't see the wonderful works of God through the prophetic office, in which he utters words of comfort, words of judgment, and calling his people back to faithfulness to the Lord. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we, be, we are unimpressed by the miracles of Christ and the apostles. And yet, can you imagine The life-changing effect of a of a leper who was healed, one who was condemned as it were to death, but brought to life. One who was unclean and now is clean. Or the paralytic that had to lay by the pool and could never get in the pool because other people get there, and yet now he's brought to his feet and is able to actually earn a le- living for himself, These, the wonderful works of God and the miracles of God there. And yet we are bored with his word. Or Pentecost, where the apostle preached and the nations literally heard him. If you read all the nationalities, that are, all the ethnicities, as you say, they are present at the day of Pentecost, and they all hear the powerful Saving Gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language, as Peter preaches. And right there, we see the Great Commission in the microcosm being fulfilled, where they're bringing the gospel to every nation, and every nation is bowing their knees to Christ as just a foretaste of what's going to be. That's a wonderful thing. Yet we get bored because we don't really stop to think about the wonderful. How wonderful the testimonies of God are. Or the most wonderful thing of all that we read in the Bible. The work of redeeming a sinner. And we say, we want to see miracles. We don't see God acting today. There's no greater miracle than God changing a heart of stone that refuses to believe in Him for a heart of flesh that's not able to believe in Him. And it's going to spend forever with with him. So the word of God is truly full of wonder. And the wonderful testimonies of God are discovered by studying God's word. Said, Pastor, I want I want to see those wonderful things. I wanted to see them. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. In verse 130 and 31, he says, The entrance of your words give light, it gives understanding to the simple I opened my mouth and panted, and I longed for your commandments. The the entrance is the idea of unfolding. The unfolding of God's Word gives light. And the unfolding of God's Word, the entrance of God's Word, is the study of it. There is light in the study of the Word. And that's why we do expositional preaching. That's why we go verse by verse. We're trying to unfold God's Word so that we can have light and see the wonder that is in it. And notice that is the unfolding of the words that impart understanding to the simple. And because he's, he's so impressed with the Word of God, the psalmist craves it. He pants for it. He thirsts, he's, thir- he's thirsty for it. He wants it really, really bad. So thoughtful and prayerful study will help us to see the wonders of it instead of getting bored with it. Are you studying the Bible? Are you reading it? Are you unfolding? Are you asking for people for help in this unfolding? Are you focused on seeing the wonderful words of God? Psalm 19, verse 18 gives us a prayer. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your law. That's what we want to see. We see one of the wonderful works of God in His law. So the psalmist encouraged us to pray that we don't lose our awe of the word of God. In verse 132, he says, Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water and down from my eyes because men do not keep the law. The psalmist doesn't want to lose his wonder of the word of God. So he begs that God would keep him in that state. He wants to see the wonderful things in the word. And notice that in verse 132, the psalmist is asking for what he knows God will do, as is your way with those who love your name. He says, keep me, keep me, interested in your word, keep me at all of your word, because that's what you do, God. If you ask, if you plead, if you beg with God, He will do just that. And let me mention two things that will keep us in awe of God's word. They're both in verse 133, where it says, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Two things that is going to keep us in awe of God's word is keep walking in hope. It says here, according to your word or according to your promise. So keep walking in hope that God is your God and you see wonderful things in the word of God. And secondly, in verse 133, don't be under the dominion of sin. If you're bored with the Bible, if you can't see the wonderful works of God in the Bible, consider whether you are in the dominion of sin. Because that blinds your eyes to see the beauty of God. And throughout this psalm, the psalmist's motivation motivation for his pleas for deliverance is his desire to obey the Lord. In 134, he says, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. He doesn't want the oppression of the world to keep him from obeying God's Word. So he prays for deliverance. He, he, yes, he wants to be delivered. But the main reason he wants to be delivered is so that he can continue obeying God's Word. He doesn't want the persecutions, the oppressions, whatever it is he's going through to keep him from obeying God. For him, learning God's statutes is a great blessing. In one thirty-five, he says, Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. The idea of of the face of God shining upon somebody is the idea of God's blessing them. And in the parallelism, the parallel structure here, we see that he equates God's face shining upon him and God's teaching God, his statutes to him. For him to learn more about God is a great blessing that he's seeking. Not just deliverance, but learning more about God. God makes his face shine upon the psalmist by teaching him his statutes. And at the end, this is one of the only stanzas where we find the psalmist discouraged. Every other stanza so far, he was very encouraged by the end of it. But in this one, it ends with discouragement. And we find him discouraged because people around him were not obeying God's word. In 133, 136, he says rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. He, he's, he's saddened that people are not seeing the wonderful words of God. He's saddened that people are not seeing the wonderful works of God in the words of God to the point that he says that he's just crying hard. The rivers of water are coming out of his eyes because people are just not impressed with the Word of God. And that's part of being in love with the Word of God is that you are saddened when others don't pay attention to it. The wonderful testimonies of God. Do you find them wonderful? When you read the Bible, when you read the word of God proclaimed, when you read about it, do you find them wonderful? You're only gonna find them wonderful if you are if you have a wonderful Savior. If the Lord has delivered you, then He's opened your eyes to see the wonders of His glory. In his word. Let us pray together. Father Heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that we would be so in love with you and with your word that we would see the be, be at all of it all. Uh, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. For asking Jesus' name, amen.